0: go ahead and get started this evening. Hey, we, hey, first of all, congratulations the few, the proud, the survivors here who have made it through the Purple Book. And we're on our last night tonight. And I have to tell you something. I've taken, I've lost count of how many people I've personally taken people, I've taken through the Purple Book just on a personal basis. And most, most don't make it to the end. They just don't. There's just not a lot of uh, tenacity and persistence out there. And, uh, now, a lot of times I'll encourage and I'll, I'll bring them along and we'll move. So let me just tell you about something. This is going to be a tool that's available. We want people to go through this book. However, there is, and I didn't tell you this until we got to the end, there is a shorter version of this book. <laughs> but I wasn't going to tell you until we got through it. And it's called the one-to-one book and it's actually available on the UVersion um, app. And it's put out, it's the same people that wrote it. It's called One to One, and if I remember right, it's O-N-E-2-O-N-E. I want to make sure. It's about seven very brief summary chapters. So instead of covering 12, uh, well, actually it covers about 24 topics, the way they have it broken up, it's only seven. I actually prefer, when I take somebody through this, I actually prefer the One to One book because it's smaller, and it's, it's more of a, I wish I'd brought one in, I've got one in my office, it's more of a pamphlet size, and it's only seven chapters, that's a little bit easier to get through over coffee, get through over, you know, ongoing coffee talks a few times, so, but I wanted to get us all through this, and at least get a group through the foundations of this, so that now when we talk about, and go back, and if we do the one-to-one book, let's say, I I could see us next summer doing a one-to-one series uh, where we teach the one-to-one book instead of going through it during the summer and uh, taking time to do that, take the whole body through it, the whole church through it, but you will have already gone through the purple book, we'll introduce to the purple book and that what. so uh, anyway, so congratulations, you guys should get a star or jelly bean or something because you did it and I'm very proud of you. So as we get started tonight, we're going to move through this fairly quickly. We'll get through right on time tonight, maybe a little early, uh, because I've shortened this last last chapter just a little bit, because I want to get to the heart of what it's about. So let's pray as we get started again. Great to see everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you as sons and daughters tonight. I thank you, Lord, that we're not on the outside looking in. We are in the most holy place with you. You allow us to be raised up, seated in Christ, in heavenly places. And because of that, you place us far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. And because all things are under Jesus' feet and we're seated in Christ, that means all things are under our feet. Circumstances are under our feet. Situations are under our feet. Pain and brokenness are under our feet. Disappointment, failure disillusionment are all under our feet. Discouragement is under our feet. And so, Lord, we, we literally stand in our position in Christ. And having done all, we stand. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking up The shield of faith whereby we quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And holding and wielding the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. The message of Jesus. So Lord we stand as sons and daughters but we also stand as warriors. Father, even as I hear those kids screaming bloody murder next door, (laughs) Lord, we pray for them. We pray for the next generation. We love the next generation. Father, we want to be those. We don't want to be those kinds of Christians who pour water on their fire. We want to pour gasoline on the spark and see it uh, go ablaze, Lord. So we speak life into our students and our children, we speak life into our team that oversees them and works with them. We ask, Father, that you would pour out the spirit of revival upon the next generation. And Father, we, we, will, we will catch their coattails and ride right into a spiritual awakening with them. So, Father, bring them to life. Breathe life upon them we say it. And Father, even as I'm wearing this shirt tonight to remind me all day today to pray for for Austin and Kate and the kids and to pray for Brian and Leslie, Father, we lift up our missionaries. And Lord, my prayer, my belief is that there'll be many, many more to come. And for our friends that are out in rural Illinois, Father, as they are be going to be starting a connection group and go through this next series with us right here in Fredericksburg, we speak life over that precious group, that precious little home church that's looking for life, looking for hope, looking for encouragement, looking for connection. And so we pray for them as well. And Father, we declare there will be many, many, many more to come in the following days. And Father, as you position us and posture us as Bridge Church Fredericksburg to be a church that has been planted but that will also plant more churches. Order our steps that we may literally see that which you're calling us to. We bless you. We open our hearts to you tonight. We open our ears. We open our eyes. We thank you for the study. Thank you for the privilege of being disciples who now are equipped to make disciples we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have y'all seen these shirts that Kate and Austin had done? It's the the Lion Aslan from C.S. Lewis, and it says, of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Speaking of ass on the lion, speaking of, speaking of the nature of God. If you'll notice on our screen, the harvest vision at Russ, thank you, Russ. Notice that, discover, develop, deploy, and disrupt. That is the nature of God. Everything about him is about these elements. And we believe that this is what God has called us to as we walk out this harvest vision. Now, I've had people ask me, so what's in our future, Pastor? And you know what I tell them? Sobs. Anybody remember what sobs means? Same old boring strokes. It's how you win tennis tournaments and championships. You do the right thing every day and you keep doing it. We preach Jesus. We believe in evangelism and discipleship. We value worship and hosting the very presence of God. But make no mistake, we continue with sobs. What do sobs mean? There you go. Same old boring strokes. I've told you the story about that, right? Haven't I at one time? You've all slept since then. So, real quick, this is important. In fact, uh, it used to be in the beginning of the Purple Book. It's now in the beginning of a book called Wiki Church by Steve Merle. Steve was in the Philippines, and he had started these churches years ago. We've told that story based out of some revivals that happened in Manila back in the early 90s. So, as these churches started to grow and these new believers started to catch traction, what happened was is that Steve, you know, he established family, they have kids, they grow up in Manila, and his boys who are born of white American parents are growing up in Manila, and one of them has a great, great athletic ability to play tennis. So he grows up all through school playing tennis. Well, he gets to high school, and he's like a, like a, a, a national contender in Manila for the championship. I mean, he's got the goods, he's got the talent. So Steve, his dad says, we need to get you a really good tennis coach. And they find this guy who is one of the highest-ranked tennis coaches in Manila, in the Philippines. So by Philippine standards, this is like the number one guy. So they hire him, and Steve shows up with his son, and they get out on the court. Man, they're excited. I mean, Steve just pictures what this coach is about to put him through. He's going to put him through the ringer, right? World-class, national-level coach. He's going to put his son through the ringer. And they get out there, and, the, and they introduce themselves. And he says, well, get back there. Just hang out on the baseline. If you play tennis, you know where I'm talking about. And so the coach gets out there with a basket of balls, tennis balls, and he starts dropping balls and hitting them. And he's not hitting them hard. He's just hitting them. He's hitting them in the same place every time. And after about 30 minutes of this, his son's just hitting forehand, forehand. Forehand, He's getting frustrated. And Steve, the pastor Steve, is like, okay, I'm paying a lot of money to sit out there and hit ground strokes. I could have done this. And then they come back the next week. They're trying to be patient. Okay, maybe he's got a plan. The next week, he tells him to get on the baseline. The coach gets there. And now he hits it to the other side. And now he's he's hitting backhand ground strokes. Can you tell I used to play tennis? I did, a lot. So he's hitting now... And finally, after about a few weeks of this, Steve corners the coach and says, Okay, I got to know what's going on. I'm paying you a lot of money to teach my son to play tennis. And so the, the coach said to him, He said, You know what? He said, My approach is sobs. And Steve said, What do you mean by sobs? He said, Same old boring strokes. He said, What wins championships is not trick shots, it's not fancy, it's not. Changing your course of action when you're four sets into the match. He said, it's the same old boring strokes that win championships. And so, Steve backed off. Let the coach do his job. His son became one of the national. He didn't make number one, but he was a ranked national player after that because of sobs. Steve took that principle and applied it to discipleship and church growth. And Steve, who has one of the largest churches in the world, it's over 80,000 people right now and growing in Manila. It's called Victory Fellowship. They're all over. Several hundred campuses meeting weekly. And it's built on small groups, small group mentality. They knew to grow large, they had to grow small because you want to build on relationships, right? As we grow, we need to grow small. We need to focus on connect groups and really, really get this thing down. So we're walking together. They've done the same thing. So... Steve gets invited every year to sit on a panel of the largest, of the pastors of the largest churches in the world. So we're talking about largest churches, churches with, with thousands, and they represent millions and millions of people, and it's, it's not a large group. And every year Steve goes to this, and every year, inevitably, it comes back around to him because his is one of the largest churches on, on the, the earth, on the planet. And they always come and they inevitably ask Pastor Steve the same questions. How are you doing it? What are you doing? What's your technique? What's your methodology? And every year, guess what he says? And he's been to this like 13 years in a row. Sobs. Now by now they all know it. Same old boring strokes. And so I decided if Steve can grow a church of 80,000 and growing in Manila, the Philippines, I figure we could do something here by doing what? Sobs. Sobs. You want to know what our future looks like? It looks like it does today. It looks like us winning people to Jesus. Did y'all see the picture? I posted a picture of Melissa getting baptized. And every time I look at that picture, I get happy. You were obviously happy. You were doing the victory. I mean, it was like touchdown. But I'm telling you, if we will do what Jesus told us to do. This isn't getting fancy. We're not talking trick shots and gimmicks here. We're not going to get fog machines unless Russ just has a wild hair one day and goes nuts. But we're probably not going to have fog machines here. We are going to do the basics and we're going to do them well. You can call it sobs. I like calling it wax on, wax off. Anybody know what that's from? That's how the Karate Kid defeated the bully, Right? Wax on, wax off. Why? He taught him the basics. It's the fundamentals that win games, and it's the fundamentals that win life as a follower of Jesus. Amen? So if you're wondering what our future looks like, look around. It looks like this, but us growing in this and going deeper and building deeper foundations. Does that make sense? We're going to keep doing the same old boring strokes. We're going to keep waxing on, waxing off, because we're going to do what Jesus told us to do. If it gets fancy and out of hand, i got enough people around that will jerk the slack out of my chain on that, okay? We're keeping it. We're keeping it on the road. Amen? You good with that? Yeah. Just so you know. All right. Harvest vision. That's what that's all about. So we're talking tonight about resurrection and judgment. Woohoo! All right. So let's do this. So listen to this. David in Psalm chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. And this is chapter 12, if you have your book. Look what he says. The Lord reigns forever. He has established His throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. You know what I know about my Heavenly Father? Is that He's righteous. And you know what I know about His Son, Jesus? Is that His Son, Jesus, has made me the righteousness of God. You know what that makes me and you? As followers of Jesus, it puts us in right standing with a righteous judge. You know what that means? That means you never have to fear coming into his presence. You never have to be afraid of approaching his throne. The book of Hebrews calls it the throne of grace where you find mercy and help in your time of need. Does that sound like a God that you should be afraid of? Now, we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord, but we're going to talk a little more about what that literally means in just a little bit because a lot of people will go, well, now wait a minute, Pastor. We're supposed to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Well, we need to know what that word means. And we need to unpack it. And then we also need to read it in light of the new covenant. All right? So there is a difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. There was a massive shift when Jesus, the bridge, showed up. And when that happened, we who are in him are now made right with God. The Bible says we are reconciled to God. And as a result, we are now ministers of reconciliation. You know what that means? That means we've been given authority to escort other people to him. To introduce them to Jesus Christ as Savior and ultimately as the Lord of their life. And what does that do? It creates a bridge, does it not? Remember the old illustration? The bridge, the cross, it gives it gives men and women and boys and girls passage and connection to God. That's reconciliation. That's what we've been given. So when I read verses like this, I get happy. I don't get coward, I don't get fearful. Have you ever had a pet, have you ever had a dog that was just scared of everything? Yes. Isn't that a heartbreaker? Yes. Don't you have to wonder what happened to that poor dog? You have to wonder, why does that dog cower in fear every time somebody walks in the room? It's tragic. I don't know about, I'm a softie when it comes to animals. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it like it is. It breaks my heart. It's like, how sad that that dog has to be in fear. What happened to that poor animal that that dog walks in fear? But you know what? There are a lot of people that are followers of Jesus and they name the name of Jesus and they walk in complete terror of God because they never have understood who they are in Christ and whose they are that they are Christ's and that he is their advocate, their counselor, their comforter. He's the one who is the defender. While there's an enemy called the accuser of the brethren, that is the That is, in a very real sense, the prosecutor. Then you have a righteous judge. By the way, this is Daniel chapter 7. And then you've got Jesus, our defender. You know what he did that most defenders don't do in a court of law? He shed his own blood to pay for our sin. And because of that, we now have right standing with God. And we are now covered. It sounds kind of weird to say we're covered in the blood of Jesus. Sounds barbaric if you don't know the context, right? But we are covered in the blood of Jesus. And it's his blood that covers our sin and makes that sacrifice pure and righteous. Amen? Does that make sense? All that is, is gospel. That's called good news. And we're ministers of that for others. So listen to this, the Lord reigns, he establishes throne for judgment, and I say, yay, I'm so grateful that he's a righteous judge, aren't you? That he sits on the throne, and he rules in righteousness. Listen to this next verse, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28, just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed how many times? Once to take away the sins of many, once for all. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin. Why? Because he already has. Do you believe that Jesus dying once was enough for you? Then right. why don't we act like it? If we really believe that, that means he has borne your sins, borne your shame, borne your guilt, and now that means you can live free And when you're free you're not under any kind of religious guilt, shame, persecution, oppression, weight. Living as though this is the tragedy I see believers who've walked with God all their life and they live under guilt and shame and they don't even know why. It's a residual thing from their past. It's a residual thing from their childhood when their parents, well-meaning, said, if you do that, God's going to get you. God doesn't like it when you act like that. And what happens is we teach our children to fear God in a wrong way, in a negative way. And God becomes a leverage tool for behavior. And many churches think that Following Jesus is behavioral, it's, it's behavioral change. It's changing behavior. Behavioral modification. It's not. We're, we're trying to see the heart get changed. When the heart changes, the mind changes. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So when the heart's right and the mind's right, right thinking, right behavior happens naturally. Not manipulated, not coerced, and not not crushed down by religious fear. Does this make sense? It's interesting when you talk about the gospel of grace. That's the good news of grace. People say, well, pastor, if we teach people that they're free, they're going to sin. Y'all know what I say about that. We're going to sin anyway. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you teach us. Why? Because we can't help ourselves. That's why we have to release and surrender our lives to Jesus. I look at the Sermon on the Mount, and I read it a lot. I love to read the red and pray for the power. But I read the red a lot, and as I read the red, I look at it and I go, if it were not for Jesus, this would be depressing. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those. Those who desire to live Godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Someone asks you, go a mile, go two? I mean, you start reading through that. Do as and others you have them doing to you? I start looking at that, I'm going, fail, 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 fail. Oh, missed that one big time. Oh, wow. If I measure myself by the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I'm a miserable failure. If I go, percentage of how many of these I got right today, not good. My batting average is low. And that's why I have to say, oh, but Jesus... But God, but Jesus, the one who not only lives in me, but lives through me. Does that make sense, Steve? Don't
1: you see, though, the, the goals of sanctification?
0: The goals of sanctification. It's something that we are moving toward. Absolutely. I've always said that. In fact, I used to. my elders at our church in Abilene, they would just come to me in guilt and say... I messed up. And they'd talk about the Sermon on the Mount. We had this conversation with my elders one time. And I said, brothers, we're leaning towards this ideal. But make no mistake, it's Jesus who fulfills this, not us. We can't, but he can. And guess what? He can through us. He desires to live his life through us. The scripture is clear on this. And so you're right. It is something that when sanctification is that ongoing training in righteousness that we're in. It's like we're training for the Olympics. And they're way off down there. And the ideals are high and the goals are high. But let me tell you something. In Christ, we will reach. We'll reach it. In Christ. In Christ. Now I know it's sometimes hard to wrap your mind around. Let's keep going. Look what it says. So Christ's sacrifice wants to take away the sins of many. Don't you see that as good news? That's called the gospel. Do you know this is hard to take sometimes? It's because of our, the way we see things. But do you know that the sins you're going to commit next week have already been covered by Jesus? Was his death once enough? See, I don't have to put him on the cross every time I blow it. How barbaric would that be? Okay, Jesus, you're going to have to die again because it wasn't enough. That was for last week. You see the absurdity of that? And so we, here's what we do. We live from the perspective of we're not striving toward victory, fighting from it. We already have it. Our inheritance in Christ is already clear. We have it. So now we lean into that, and now we begin to live with a little bit lighter gate in our walk. I mean, we can actually have a pep in our step because Jesus has it. And even more important, he has me. I love saying this. He's got this, but more importantly, he's got you. He's got you. And you're safe in the palm of his hand. So here's what happens. When you blow it, like you did today, and I did too, no telling how many times and over what, could be the tiniest little things, that set us off or get us thinking in a tailspin, here's what we do. We come to Him and I say, Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for forgiveness. Thank You that when I prayed and asked You to forgive me, You, gave me, you forgave me. 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful and just to forgive. Does that mean i got to go back and pray that prayer over and over? No. Where did you get that theology? Once for what? Once for what? All. All. Does that mean I got to go back and pray and pray and pray? Does that mean I need to go to bed every night and try to recount my sins? Is that even possible? How's that working out for you? I go to bed at night and I say, I thank you, Jesus, that I am covered. I thank you that you're so good to me. I thank you that you love me so much that you knew before the foundations of the world how I was going to respond to that. And here's what I say. When I know, I say, Father, the enemy's telling me I'm worthless. The enemy's telling me I don't, mess, I don't measure up. The enemy's speaking to me, and you're a pastor and you thought that? So you know what I say to the enemy? I don't say it to the enemy. You know what I say to the Lord? I say, Father, is this true? Is this true? And if you ask him if it's true, let me tell you something. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. Usually he says, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. Is what true? Well, Lord, I messed up earlier. He goes, when? What are you referring to? Well, when I... You know what, son? That has been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's a long way, folks. So I don't have to cower. I don't have to walk in shame. Yes, Miss Wanda. There you go. uh, That is so true. So what Wanda said, just for everybody's sake, sometimes when she talks to somebody about this and says, do you believe it? They'll say, I believe it's true, but I can't forgive myself. You do know we're our own worst critic, right? Or am I the only human in the room? We're hard on ourselves. I remember my coaches never had to get onto me because they—I stand out there and beat myself up. I mean, they're like, "Oh, Pruitt's got it. I'm just going to let him go." You know what the enemy did to me as a young follower of Jesus? Oh, Pruitt's got it. I'm just going to let him go. He—he's he, beating himself up way worse than I was gonna, than anything I could do. Got so hard on myself, and I had to come to a place. This is tough, folks, because it sounds humanistic. Gotta be careful because we, we fall into these patterns. We're so afraid to look like the world that we won't do what needs to be done. And that is this, to love myself as much as he loves me. That sounds arrogant, it sounds vain, but it's not. It's not. It's valuing what he values the same way he values it. And if he loves me, then I need to love me, not in a weird narcissistic, vain type of way, but to say, if he made me, this God didn't create junk. Amen? Because here's the hard thing. If you can't love yourself, you're not going to love other people either. Let's start with, uh, with Jerry. When, when this is applicable to me, I go through this little visual thing. Seeing God, the
1: Sovereign Lord of all, that created Australia, slapping himself on the forehead, said, "I never saw that coming." Started
2: mm. that when I screw up, he's
1: up there low. Never saw that one coming.
0: It's absurd. And Jerry, I'm so glad you prayed about that because I didn't catch that one. This is the God of heaven, who knows. He knows every hair on your head, or some of you not. He knows where they went. He knows where they are now. I'm just saying he knows every follicle, whether it's got a hair in it or not. He knows every one. That's how much God loves us. Steve, you are going to say something? It's good, Jerry. There's
1: two more aspects to this. One, when people feel like they have sinned the unforgivable sin. Mm. And we talk about it. Do you think you of all the humanity are the only one that has sinned so bad that the blood of Christ
0: is not that's a good word, Steve. And good word. Takes care of that. That's a good word. And
1: the second one, when I do premarital counseling, we go to the scriptures and it says, a man must love his wife as himself. Mm-hmm. And you find most divorces, particularly the man, he doesn't think much of himself. That's right. Therefore, he can't think
0: much of his wife. So he's looking for happiness outside of himself. Because he's not finding it in himself, yeah. and it destroys a relationship, it yeah. destroys a marriage. That's good, good insight, Steve. Yes, ma'am, Melissa. Um, earlier, you were talking about cowering dog. Mm. And actually, a great many of
2: them, nothing has happened to them except for they were under-socialized at that development. Stage.
0: Wow. metaphor. So here's, if the truth sets us free, what do lies do? They bind us. And so that's, that's, I I pull that from what you're saying, Melissa. It's really on point that a lot of us who have been taught error, or a lot of times it's not intentional. Let me just say something. When I when I, I'm sort of like the religious MythBuster, I love taking scriptures and saying, a whole denomination got birthed out of this misunderstanding of a word, and it happens. Or this church split over this because they literally didn't understand what it said. I desire to bring truth and integrity and, te- and bring intellectual integrity to the scriptures as well as spiritual integrity. So here's the thing. When a lie goes forth and you believe it, you manifest a behavior and, and express it, but it's untrue. Yeah. The sad thing, and I was sharing this with, uh, with somebody today, I said the sad thing is that when you do present truth, and you say this is literally what this says, this is literally the intent of it, context is king, This frame, this passage frames the scripture, and it's been terribly misunderstood, here's the truth, most people will still default to the lie because that's what they're comfortable with. And to me, that is the most dangerous place a follower of Jesus can be. And that is when they willfully default to a lie when the truth is staring them in the face. They reject the lie, they reject the truth to embrace the lie. Do you feel like that might put somebody in bondage? And I've seen it over and over and over in these years. It's a heartbreaker. I don't have contempt, I have compassion, because that is a heartbreaker. But that's great insights, everybody, on this. So let's move forward, because there's so much to cover. He'll appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are we waiting? Are we looking? Are we excited? Wouldn't it be crazy if it happened in our lifetime? My goodness, I'm thinking, amazing. But here's the deal. He's also, there's a flip side to that coin, and this is where the evangelist part in me goes, oh, please wait a little bit, Lord. Yeah, this world's a train wreck, and it seems like it's going off the the rails even worse lately. But he's willing that none should perish. And if he's willing that none should perish, that means that's his will, right? It's his word and it's his will. So should it not be our will that none should perish? You know what should be driving us as Bridge Church? This harvest vision that is taking up this idea that none should perish. And that we're responsible to cooperate with him. We're responsible to co-labor with Jesus to share the gospel, the good news, so that people can come to faith in Christ like we did. And how dare we withhold the answer? It's like knowing the cure to cancer and sitting on it. It's like knowing the bridge is out and watching people drive 90 miles an hour down that road. And we just go, oh, this is going to end bad for them. We know the answer. And the answer is not a doctrine, not a teaching. The answer is a person. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? How dare we sit on it? We can't sit on it. We can't. If He's willing that none should perish, we need to cooperate that with that. Amen. That should be our heart. That should be something that actually drives us and moves us to action. So let's keep moving. There's so much. It's so good. According to the Bible, all of us have three inescapable appointments: death, resurrection, woohoo, and judgment. Now, that sounds scary, doesn't it? Not for a follower of Jesus, it doesn't. So let's keep going. We will all die one day. We will all be raised again, but not just as disembodied spirits. We will all be judged at the throne of God. And here's the beauty of it. If you're in Christ, this is not a fearful appointment. This isn't like going before the principal when I was in high school. That was fearful. Getting called into the office after we stole Cokes off of a Coke truck. That was fearful. Because I knew what was waiting at the end of... Of uh, Coach Gideon's arm, it was a very long paddle with had been drilled out just for air, make it more air efficient. He could swing that thing. Woo. He lifted me a foot off the ground when I got my swats. Of course, that, that would be illegal today, right? Oh yeah. Wasn't then. I, there was no, there is fear going into that office, but there is no fear coming before the judgment seat of Christ. No fear coming before the throne of God. No fear whatsoever. In fact. I may be that kid that runs in and just knocks people over because I cannot wait to get in the presence of my king. Listen to this. We all will be judged at the throne of God. This is a good thing. While there is a judgment with a righteous judge, there is also an advocate who has taken away our guilt and shame. Isn't that good news? Jesus, our advocate, that means he stands in between us and the charges that are being brought against us by the accuser of the brethren, which is what the Bible calls the enemy. So there's an accuser. In Daniel chapter 7, it says it's a little horn. That's flapping it's flapping its, its day and night stop. In the book of Revelation chapter 12, it's, it's one who stands before the throne of God accusing them day and night. So we've got this picture in the Old Testament of this, and we got a picture in the, of, in the New Testament of one that's accusing day and night. Look what we have going, new and old. Words. Lies. And who's the father of lies? The enemy himself. And his minions. So all of these lies are going forth, but here's the beauty. We have an advocate that takes away our guilt. Takes away our shame. Wouldn't it be cool if we all acted like that was true? Yes. I think if we came in on a Sunday morning and acted like that was true, it wouldn't be Steve, Miss Charlene, and Denlon Lucado dancing around down here. <laughs> it would be all of us dancing around here going, we are free in Jesus. Amen. But, you know, we're all respectable. We don't want to, you know, we don't, We got to be seditified, Right? We got, we got to be dignified. We don't want to, you know, don't, don't let your emotions or feelings get into this whatsoever. Oh, really? Do you think Jesus was an emotional being? Yeah. We, he got mad. Oh, not Jesus. Oh, I'm, I'm talking he fashioned a whip out of cords, went into... By the way, this is a funny thing about those cords. Do you know the, fa- the whip that he fashioned were nothing more than grass blades? He didn't fashion a real whip. He didn't fashion one with leather and chunks of bone and metal and glass that he got flogged with, he, f- he fashioned a whip of grass. It wasn't a real whip. But he went in with high emotion. That was all it took. Turned over the money changers. Oh, did he get sad? Did he grieve? Did he grieve? Did he ever get frustrated with the disciples? My favorite line in the Bible regarding the disciples, how long must I bear with you? (laughs) My mom used to say that all the time. (laughs) Like, Mom, I'm only 17. Give me another year. So let's move on. Number one, what is everyone appointed to do once? Hebrews 9.27, I'm going to move quickly. It says this, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. For you and I, that's a celebration. Celebration. But if you're not in Christ, that's not a celebration. Listen to this. Keep moving. Number two, where will we all stand one day? Romans fourteen ten says this, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. You have somebody in the church approaches you and they're gossiping about another brother or sister. When that happens to me, I say, we need to stop this conversation. Actually, I usually just redirect by finding somewhere else to go. But when I hear one Christian judging another, and let me just say this, I know I'm on the internet, whatever, but when I hear people put down Joel Osteen or people take pot shots at Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland or anybody else for that matter, I have to ask myself this, have you ever had a cup of coffee with Joel Osteen? You ever sat down with him to find out what his heart is? Have you ever thought about what it must be like to have a conversation with Benny Hinn and say, why are you so outlandish? Why are the jacket swinging and all the? You know, have you, ever, have you ever actually had that conversation? No. We judge from the nosebleed section other people. And because we don't like the form or the method, we deem it as wrong. Who are we? Who are we to judge? I have a lot of friends that have been ministered to by Benny Hinn. I have friends that have been healed in his conferences. I mean, bona fide, genuine healing. I'm not going to go back and say, well, you know, I don't like the way he does that. So it makes me uncomfortable. It's awkward. But Let me tell you what I learned a long time ago. God often brings me what I need in a package I don't necessarily like or want. Can I say that again? God often brings me what I need in a package I don't necessarily like or want. Jesus MO is disruption. We do not change on purpose. Do you know anyone who's really changed on purpose? We change because we have to change. Just ask Dave Ramsey. He's all over that. I learned a lot from Dave when I was there. But we change because circumstances and situations precipitate a need to change. Very few people willingly change. Transformation comes often after trauma, after change. Why do people go serve and work in the Senate? Do you know how many people who are senators, governors, how many people are in the House of Representatives because of a trauma? And because of a law that was unjust, and they went and got in the system, I'm going to do something about it. Why? It was a disruption that brought them to that place. Now, I think there comes a point as we grow and mature that we lean into change. We lean into transformation. We grow in sanctification. We begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and God being the Holy Spirit who's the teacher who leads us and guides us into all truth. And I think over time, we get to that place where we actually begin to lean into change. But most of us do not unless disruption occurs. Is this the truth? So don't disdain the package in which it comes. Man, don't judge it. Don't judge it. Amen? Amen. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? That, That word look down means to despise. Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Number three, did Paul fear death? Why not? Philippians 121. Here's what Paul said. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if to live is Christ and to die is gain, does that not sound like a win-win proposition? There are not a whole lot of those in the world these days, right? Here's one. If I die, I get Jesus. If I live, I get Jesus. It is a win-win for you and me. Hey, when you woke up this morning and you had Jesus in your life, you hit the lottery. We already have hit the lottery. Amen? It's already good. I have a cap that says life is good. It's my favorite cap. I've worn it completely out, but I won't let go of it. Because I like what it says and it fits me good. But I love what it says. Life is good. Why? Because we're in Christ. To live is Christ and to die is what? It's gain. Derek, you got something back there? An apostate, that is someone who has walked away from the banqueting table that's been spread before them, has rejected the truth, rejected him, rejected the son, walked away willingly, willingly, it's a will thing, it's an act of will. What's an apologetic? What do you mean by that? What's You need to frame your question a little bit.
1: It's an explanation.
0: Right. Yeah, go ahead.
1: It stems from the root word means to defend. It's one who defends a belief. Yeah. It's, it's not a regret or sorrowful. It's a defense of. That's what the, the word apology originally yeah. means. In yeah. a defense of. So when it's in the context of Christianity, it's people that defend Christianity.
0: My son has a passion for apologetics. I know what it is, but I, I wanted to know what, where you were going with uh, that. I have a, a passion for apologetics. Gotcha, gotcha. And I also have, when I understand what an apostate It's
2: also
0: right. the false teaching. It brings me to mind, when God
1: and the Bible teaches that there are people who are that,
0: who does who do that, do that. right? Uh, how do we address?
1: five years with the wife who's a Mormon, and
0: I spent every day morning. That'll make sense. It doesn't reach in the Bible. So I'm trying to get you to clarify, if, if we have what are called false prophets, how do we address them? Well, we address them, Matthew 18 directs us to address anyone who's in error, anyone who's off, anyone who's out of line, we go to them directly we don't go on Facebook and slam, we don't go on social media platforms and rant. We go to them. We find them. But I I think where I struggle is people who are self-appointed watchdogs for ministers and ministries. And there are websites built around this. Have you ever googled Max Zucato? They're not all nice websites on Max. Max has multiple websites against him. Against him. Anybody who's high profile is going to have something coming against them. Of course my thought is, where do you guys get all the time to do this? Do you work? Do you have a job? I mean, (laughs) you spend your life trying to, to tear other people down. I had that conversation with a guy today who came out after me about something that I had posted Turns out I went to college with the guy. But uh, we're going to have coffee soon, have a conversation.
1: There is the scripture that says that this is when you're led by the Spirit, you cease and you do not cast your pearls before
0: Before swine. But that's not one time. Yeah. That's after a considerable time. Yeah.
1: And the Spirit says they're not going to waste
0: too much time. Yeah. And really you're not... Derek you what you're referring to isn't the norm of what we do those are those are few and praise God those are few and far between opportunities unless you're just immersing yourself in a world of that and hunting that which some do and they feel called to that but I, I would I would wrestle with that but uh, I had to tell somebody in fact I had to remove one of their comments on my page because I had to tell them My reason for being on social media is to lift up, to build up, and to encourage. I'm not here for a fight or a debate. You want to do that, we do that offline. We do it sitting at Starbucks or somewhere else where we can talk, but I'm not going to go toe-to-toe with you on a keyboard. Because you don't know my heart, you don't know my motive, and I don't know yours. So me and this guy are having coffee a couple weeks. And I'm looking forward to it. Not so we can go toe-to-toe, but so I can see why he's motivated to slam and be negative and critical. There's something, there's smoke behind that fire. There's some brokenness going on there. So hopefully compassion will win the day. So, Paul says, for me to live as Christ, it's a win-win. Let's keep moving. Paul insisted that because Christ has been raised from the dead, we will be raised from death as well. This is huge news for you and me. This is good news. Good news. Uh, says this What is the last enemy that Christ will destroy? It's found in 1 Corinthians 15 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, I may have to say something. While that's the last enemy to be destroyed, do you know it's already been defeated? That's right. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away. He's got the keys, the keys of the kingdom. And guess who he gives them to? Wow. <laughs> wow. Little old you and me. Is that not amazing? Is that not trust to give us the keys of the kingdom? It's amazing. It's a stunner. Keep moving quickly. Paul did not relate, this is number eight, Paul did not relate to Jesus as if he was still on the cross. This is interesting. How did Paul want to know Christ? Philippians 3 10 and 11. Look at this. I love this verse. One of my, fa- one of my tops. I, I sign a lot of things with this. That I may know him. The word know there, nosco. We've talked about that word in here before. It means to know by experience or to have intimate knowledge of. Nosco. The Gnostics were people who, who, they were a group of people that, that believed that the only way you could get to and ascend to. Uh, heaven and and to be with God is through intellectual ascent, through knowledge, through knowledge, gnosis, the Gnostics. Listen to this. That I may know him intimately and experientially, and the power, the dunamis, the, the dynamite, the explosive power of his resurrection. And it'd be awesome if there was a period there, would it not? There's not. And may share his sufferings. Have you ever counted it a privilege to suffer for Jesus? Doesn't feel like a privilege, does it? No. Oh, but it is. (laughs) But it doesn't feel like it. Oh, it does not feel like it. And it says like this, Becoming like him in his death. This harkens back to Galatians 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lived. But Christ lives in and through me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I've been crucified if, with, and in Christ. In other words, you can't kill a dead man. That's why Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm already dead. I've been resurrected, but the life I now live, he lives in me and through me. It's actually his life living through me. So I'm dead, basically. We're walking dead people, but fully alive because of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? It's a little hard to wrap your mind around just embrace the joy because it is amazing that we get to live. You know what that does for me? It makes me laugh a lot more. It makes me smile a lot more. It makes me enjoy worship a lot more. It makes me enjoy you a lot more. Makes me enjoy life a lot more. Why? Because there's reason to be happy. There's doesn't. I'm not talking about the world. The world is a train wreck. But we're not living according to this world, right? We're living because we're citizens of another world. And that world, the reason Jesus could sleep on a boat in the middle of the storm, he was dreaming of that other world. He was already there. That's why he could sleep in a storm. Because his mind was somewhere else. Thou may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, I... I'm 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 all in. Because when I when this final resurrection happens, when the re- I'm going to be there. Paul says whatever it takes, suffering, resurrection, power, joy, I'm all there. He wrote this in the context of the book of Philippians. It was a letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi, but it was later distributed to other churches, but if you'll remember the church of Philippi was the church that he was most happy about. He loved the Philippian people. He had a, a fondness for them. The word joy is mentioned 16 times in that one little book. 16 times. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard, garrison your hearts, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It just gets gooder and gooder from there. I mean, that book is amazing. It's a book of life. It's a book of joy and, and Paul's affinity for those people. What does it do for me? I read it and I, I get joy out of it. But it's in the context of a joyful book that he mentions this. It's so easy to get caught up in my sharing his sufferings. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's all good. It's all part of the fabric of life. It's all part of the game. It's all part of this thing. We don't have to fear it or be afraid. Amen? Next one. A couple more and we'll we'll land the plane. Where is our citizenship? Uh, Again, we're still in the book of Philippians here. Still in the letter that was written as a love letter to the people he loved and adored. He says this, but our citizenship is where? Oh, man. So what are we here on? A green card or something? I don't know. We're here temporarily. This is temporary. We're just passing through. Now, what we do matters. Say it again. We are ambassadors. We represent. We represent Jesus. We represent him over and over and over in the culture in which we live. What a privilege. This is why Paul was so joyful. He was as he writing this, he's bursting with joy, going, We get to do this. I tell our staff, Russ will tell you that I do this often. And I do it sometimes when I'm praying with our staff, sometimes I just out I say, Do y'all realize we get to do this? Yeah, they're all going, oh, really? <laughs> More, yeah, I mean, literally, we've been living for this week for two years. Our team is war flat out. I mean, they're cutting umbilical cords. They're cutting every tether. It's just brutal almost. It's like carnage everywhere right now. You know, it's crazy. We've been living. So please pray for our staff. Can I just make an appeal for our team? My job has been relatively the same. I prepare to preach two times a week and I deal with, I put out some fires here and there and do life with people. But theirs has been heightened. So pray for our staff, pray for our team. This week as we run through the tape, they're kicking down the final stretch. And, and September 1, it all, it's all legal and everything, even though we've already you know, had our celebration. So, I've been asked this. So, what's Sunday going to look like? It's going to be our first Sunday as Bridge Church. I'm going to go, it's going to look like two weeks ago. We got work to do. Hands to the plow. We had our party. It's time to get to work. Amen? Let's keep doing the what? Sobs. Same old boring strokes. That's what Sunday's going to look like. We're kicking off a new series, by the way, a little commercial called Awakenings. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians over the next 11 weeks together, and we are going to find out what it means to awaken to destiny, to awaken to life, to awaken to our position in Christ, to awaken to salvation, to awaken to warfare. We're going to cover the topics of the book of Ephesians. I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite books, so I am going to be fired up when we go through this. So Sunday, we kick that off. Awakenings. So if you're leading a life group, we're calling them Connect Groups. We're going to put out materials for that ahead of time. Each week, you'll get it in your email from Russ. So just know, if you're leading a group, you'll have materials to go on. Scriptures, references back to the topic itself, questions, applications. that makes sense? So that was a little shameless plug for that. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because one day he's going to return with a shout. Amen? Can you imagine that sound? I don't know what that's going to sound like, but when I was in Amarillo, Texas, watching the play Texas, anybody ever seen that play? Remember when the dynamite went off? You knew it was coming. You just didn't know when, right? And when it went off, everybody jumps. Coca-Colas go up in the air. It's like, ah, because they they drop a stick of dynamite off that cliff. We did an active trainer shooting last year. Russ was a part of that. We were all over at Crown Ridge in the worship center, and they warned us for two hours that a gunshot was gonna go off. Probably worse that we knew it was coming, because the anticipation was building. They put all the campus pastors up on the stage because said, this is where you'd be in a service. We're gonna put everybody else out in the congregation, and when the gun goes off, they're warning us, when this goes off, we want you to do what we've been teaching you to do for the last two hours. We've trained you what to do, to see what happens. Well, while he's making that announcement, just a few feet behind me, behind the curtain, a shotgun goes off. Now, it was, I had the best view in the house because I got to see everybody. It was the craziest thing. People react in one of three ways. Some just go into a dead run panic. They're knocking chairs over. They're knocking people over, trying to get out the door. There's another group that I call the deer in the headlights group. They just stop. They freeze. They don't go. I'm watching this happen. And then there's guys like me who's going, how can I take that guy out? I'm thinking, okay, if I go behind the curtain, I can tackle him through the curtain, wrap him up. This thing's over with. But I wasn't going to do it because I would have torn something up. But everybody reacts differently to trauma, right? And I'm telling you, what is the sound going to be like when the shout goes out? Over the earth, that's got to be a pretty loud percussion, repercussion, to get across the whole planet. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's good to use your sanctified imagination in these things. Just take a moment and go, okay, Lord, what will that sound like? That the whole earth hears it at the same time. Will it be internal? Will it be something that happens inside of us? Something resonates? Or will it be something? Yeah. Will it be the roar of Aslan? Yeah. The roar of the of the the lion of Judah. I have a feeling it's not going to be a lamb. I think it's going to be a lion. The lion, not safe, but good, right? All right, one more. We'll land the plane. Let me go to the very end. There's so much, in, but we're we're rehearsing with the choir here, so let me go to the very end. Last two slides, Russ, before the harvest vision. It'd be slide number 21. There it is. The Bible teaches that God is loving, kind, and compassionate. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. But (laughs) he is also holy and just, which is still, it's not the opposite of, it's still loving and kind and holy and just. That is why we're commanded to fear him. That is to treat him with reverence and awe. And there it is. That's what fear is. It's not terror. It's not cowering like an animal that, uh, how did you put it? Under-socialized. Undersocialized. It's not that. It's actually reverence and awe, realizing I am so standing on the shoulder of giants, and I have nothing but awe and reverence and devotion. We do not fear God because he is fickle or unreliable. Far from it. God will always show mercy to those who fear him. Now, last one. The good news. Listen to this. The good news. In other words, the gospel. That's what it means. Good news is this. Jesus took our sins upon himself. Can I get an amen? He canceled the debt against us. Amen? This is good news. And has now empowered us to live this life free of guilt, shame, and condemnation. Can I get an amen? Romans 8.1 says, There is, therefore, now a little bit of condemnation unless you get your act together. No, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice that in Christ Jesus phrase over and over and over. He has made us the righteousness of God whereby we can now approach His throne of grace without fear or anxiety. No fear, no stress coming before God. Because on your worst day, He was still there loving you just the same. We can come with confidence and boldness. The scripture says, come boldly before the throne of grace. And you'll receive mercy and help in your time of need. That's not cowering. That's not under-socialized. That is coming with confidence in His goodness. He's holy and just, yes. But I'm in Christ. And I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen. That means I can come before him unafraid, unashamed, and say, Father, I'm here, warts and all, bruises and all, nicks and all, Mars and all, cracks and all, but I'm here as your son, and thank you for loving me. Thank you for receiving me. That's how you can come before a holy God. Um,
2: you know, if a dog or a cat has a very finite period of development, how hmm. Mm. But we have all this time for God to grow
0: us. Yeah. To
2: be fully so yes. as his
0: children. Beautifully said. And there, there's no statute of limitations on growing in Jesus. <laughs> or being used by him. Remember where there's a pulse, there's a purpose. Where there's a pulse, there's a promise. So... I don't know where Miss Charlene is tonight. I hope somebody will check on her. Please, somebody check on her.
2: Because we saw her start out.
0: Okay, alright, yeah. So if you would, please reach out. I'll do, I'll do the same. But here's the deal. At 90 years of age, she ain't done. Putting it in West Texas vernacular, she ain't done. And you know what I love about that? Is I can point to Miss Charlene and say, what's our excuse? Amen? Amen? Last thing. Perfect love casts out all fear. The fear of the Lord is an awesome reverence based on honor and recognition of his goodness, grace, and majesty. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, thank you for this study through the purple book. What a privilege to go back and shore up our foundations so that when you build the walls of this house, Lord, you're building on a firm foundation, a solid foundation. And when that house is built, Lord, though the winds come against it and the storms come, we may be shaken and we may be bent a little bit, but we will never be broken and we will never fall because we are built on the rock, on a firm foundation. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I bless them. And Lord, May we have our eyes wide open, that we may look, look for someone. We may look for the Timothys in our life and say, Lord, can I meet with that person? Can I help that person? How can I make disciples? Because Jesus, that is what you called us to do. As we are going, where we live, work, and play, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. So here's a little housekeeping. We're going to take a two-week break as we get into the school year. It gives us time to, we're doing a staff retreat, our first ever staff planning retreat. I am beyond excited to get to, away with our team over to Mo Ranch and spend time praying together, worshiping together, and seeking God for the next season of what we do after Advent, after this next year. So be praying for us so we won't meet this next Wednesday night and we won't meet the following. We'll start back the 18th. Bill Loveless will be here to kick off our series that we're going to go through. And it's going to be a series on his newest curriculum on love. And it is phenomenal. I've already been reading through it. I sat and helped him, gave him a lot of feedback on it. So we kind of co-did this thing. But it is going to be powerful. And if you want to know how to love difficult people, you need to come show up. Who could not use help on that? So we're going to do that together starting the 18th. So we'll remind you again, just remember, we're not meeting next Wednesday or the following. We'll come back on the 18th. Amen. All right. Love you. Have a great evening.